Jesus said, for in the resurrection, they're neither married nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. You may find these words recorded in the book of Matthew in chapter 22 at verse 30. This was in answer to the hypothetical question that the Sadducees had addressed to Jesus. And I want you to notice the response of Jesus. Jesus not only tells them about the reality of angels, the reality of spirits, and the reality of the resurrection, Jesus tells them that they err, not knowing the scriptures. Jesus tells them, as one translation says, you are deceived. To be deceived means to believe something that's not true. But that point also illustrates the fact that people could be religious and they could be wrong. The Sadducees, they didn't believe in these, according to the book of Acts in chapter 23 and verse 8. And so they come to Jesus with this question about the resurrection. And so Jesus, again, he speaks about the reality of each of these. Because he says, for in the resurrection... He said, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. So he tells us something about that realm called heaven. As a matter of fact, if you look at the parallel count in Luke's account, there the Bible says, for they are equal to the angels and they are sons of God. Luke also refers to the burning bush passage. And that helps us to understand just a little bit more about the resurrection. You see, in denying the resurrection, they deny that there is life after death. And what Jesus does is he uses the tense of a verb from a statement that had been made 1,500 years ago. Remember when God commissioned Moses to go to Pharaoh to tell him to let my people go. And Moses says, well, who shall I say sent me? And God says, tell him that I am. And Jesus identifies with that statement. Jesus says, except you believe that I am, you die in your sins. And so the implication is that even though Abraham and Isaac and Jacob had died long time ago, they are still alive and there is life after death. As a matter of fact, the book of John in chapter 5, verse 28 and 29. The Bible says the hour is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. And again, I want you to underscore that word all. I mean, everyone who has ever lived and died. They are going to be raised. And so the Bible speaks about the reality of the resurrection. But again, notice what he says about those who attain to the resurrection. They are going to be like angels of God in heaven. And so having said that, we continue our series of lessons. This being the last one in that series with this question. Shall we know one another in heaven? That's our question tonight. And we're going to begin here shortly. I would like to pause and I want to acknowledge as always my gratitude to God because our God, he reigns. He is clothed with majesty and his works are great. What he has done in creation, what he has done in redemption and what he continues to do in upholding all things by the word of his power. The Lord is exalted on high, and he is our rock. And all of his thoughts towards us, his children, his people, are very deep. And I am grateful to God for who he is and what he has done, and for all of his great and exceeding precious promises. And as we continue to tell the old, old story, I am grateful that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world.
and that Jesus was willing to come and that he lived the perfect life and that he set the perfect example. And that he offered himself at Calvary's cross and that he shed his blood and that God raised him from the dead. And that we have the forgiveness of sins through his precious blood. And we have the promise and the hope of everlasting life. And that God sent the Holy Spirit and we have the revelation of truth. And God has information to help us to understand the relationship that is available to all of us. Because he has placed us in this special relationship. I'm grateful for the church in every place. And I'm grateful especially for the saints that meet at this place, at Oak Mountain. This has been an encouraging week. And I am grateful that you have invited me and my bride to come and to worship and to work with you. And I thank you. I thank you so much for allowing us to share in the worship together of our God. And allow me to lead in the discussion of these. And I would agree with Brother Bob. Indeed, the singing has been great all week long. And I would urge you, Oak Mountain, not to take that for granted. I'm grateful for all the men who have led, done a wonderful job in leading us in singing. And, oh, I must thank my sisters for your beautiful voices in joining in. And, oh, my young, my young sisters. Young ladies, all the young folks, I thank you so very much for what you add to the family of God. I thank all of those who have led. I thank all of you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, at this place. I thank my brothers and sisters in Christ who have come from other places to encourage us. I thank those from the community who have come want you to know that you're our honored guest, and we thank you. And I know spiritual things are on your mind, and it says something about you, and you to be commended for that, and you have honored us by coming together with us as we worship our God. There are so many of you who have provided for us encouragement. The accommodations have been just fine. You fed us well. You've received us. You've taken care of my bride. And we have fond memories that we will cherish throughout eternity. I thank you, Wayne, and I thank you, Regina, for sharing. And always on occasions like that, we can spend special time together and we will always remember you. And all throughout this week. And I just have to tell you, Brother Kevin, it has been so good to finally catch up with you. And to be able to see your lovely bride, to meet your lovely daughters and your handsome son. It is far better than an email. I hear so many good things about you. And now I come face to face to see you and to be with you. I understand we've got a rendezvous in Houston soon. And I look forward to seeing you. I understand that there are other men. I know that there are other men in this assembly who preach the gospel. I thank you, my brothers. I thank you for the boldness. I thank you for the desire to stand up and to proclaim God's word. Because there are still many people who are searching for the truth. There may be some of those who are in this assembly tonight. And I, I sincerely hope that tonight might be a night that you make the decision that you're going to surrender to Jesus and allow him to save you. But I commend you here at Oak Mountain. And I thank you so very, very much. It's been a good week. And I pray that God has in fact been glorified. 
And so now with our final lesson in these series of lessons, questions about God and about faith. Well, as we begin tonight, one of the first things I want to say is, first of all, we know that whatever we know about heaven and the inhabitants of heaven and our own participation in that eternal realm is obtained from revelation of God. And as we have witnessed throughout this week, God tells us, if we have questions, we can find them. We can find them in God's word. Remember what Jesus says when those folks had come to him testing him? Jesus says, have you not read? And so if we read and study and meditate, we can come up with whatever question we may have. We can come up with the answers if we would give our attention to the word of God. And so we cannot think our way into the knowledge of that wonderful place, but we must depend upon what God has said about it. And I believe that by careful reasoning, however, from the scriptures that have a bearing on this subject, we can come to rather intriguing deductions. And these are not vague philosophies that we're talking about. We're talking about reality and we're talking about principles of changeless truth that form the very essence of this question that we're going to raise. And so the question is, shall we know one another in heaven? But I want to begin with another question, and that is, what is man going to be like when we get there? I do need to say this, though. The journey to eternal punishment or to eternal life is our choice to make. And if we plan to go to heaven, we will not go there by accident. No, heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. Remember what Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. It is a prepared place for prepared people. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. But this question, what will man be like in heaven? Well, first of all, let's turn in our Bibles where we'll spend some time in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. And I know when we, we understand that the chapter and verse division were not in the original manuscripts, but we know that when we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, any Bible student know that this chapter is dealing with the resurrection. Because there were some people at Corinth who denied the idea that death is followed by a resurrection. And what the Apostle Paul does is, he strips their position. And he says that basically that strips the gospel of all of its meaning. Because if Christ did not rise, then there is no reason to serve him. But what we have as the chapter begins in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 1 it contains the Bible's most thorough defense of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the ramifications for his followers. And listen to what the Apostle Paul offered about the facts of the gospel. He says in chapter 15, verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I preached to you, which also you receive, and which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the the scriptures and then Paul goes on to offer that there were many witnesses who were still alive could attest to that fact and so what the apostle Paul contends is that his faith his work and his preaching were all founded in truth and if that was not the truth he says then if then Christ is not raised, we are the most pitiable. Because this is the message that we believe, and this is the message that we obey. But I want you to skip over with me, and we're going to come back in 1 Corinthians in chapter 15, and I want you to notice that verse 50. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50. 
And we're answering the question, what is man going to be like when he gets to heaven? Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Well, he said it twice. He says that there is a change that's going to take place. And so there is a difference between the body as adapted to its residence here and as adapted to its residence in heaven. And there is a state in which there is no more exposure to the corruption of life as we know it here upon this earth. And if you remember less yesterday evening, we talked about the second coming of Christ and what's going to happen. That this earth and all the elements therein are going to be burned up. And so we, we look for new heavens and a new earth, a new habitation. I want you to hold your finger here, if you will, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, because we're going to come back. I want you to turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4. And we mentioned these people because they expect, they thought the second coming of Christ was imminent. And some of their loved ones died, but they were concerned about their loved ones being missed out. And so Paul writes, and through Timothy, directs them so that they could understand what happens when a person dies. And look at what he says. He says, first of all, in chapter 4, verse 9, concerned brother love, you have no need that I should write to you. So he addresses that. And then in verse 13, he says, but I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. And that's what we're going to read. And then you got a chapter break here in chapter 5, verse 1. But concerning the times and the seasons. So there he is addressing the judgment and the coming of the Lord. But again, back up, if you will, he talks about the comfort that we can have when the Lord does come. Again, verse 13, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren. Now, I got a comma here, so let me pause. Paul is not using that word by derision. He is not saying, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren. What he is saying is, I don't want you to be uninformed. We talked about people last night who were ignorant. People who are willingly ignorant, Peter said. Because they turn away their ears from the truth. Because the evidence that God has made available is here. But Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed, brethren. Concerning those who have fallen asleep, you get the language? He's talking about people who have died. He says, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. And here again, folks, we've got the heart of the gospel. Listen again. He says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Let me ask you, do you believe that? Do you believe that God came in the flesh? Do you believe that Jesus died? Do you believe that God raised him from the dead? And if God raised up Jesus, you know what he says? He's going to raise up us too. Look at what he says. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord and therefore comfort one another with these words. And then he goes on to address another subject that's connected to this. In essence, Paul says, no, none of you are going to miss out. If you die before Jesus Christ comes, let me tell you what, you're not going to miss out. And if, in fact, you are alive, you're not going to miss out either. 
The truth of the matter is there's a lot of people today who don't know what happens when a person dies. And there's a lot of false doctrine out there as far as end times. As far as what happens when a person dies. We addressed some of that last night. Some of the Eastern religions, there is a doctrine called reincarnation that would suggest that when you die, you may come back as something else. But our souls are not recyclable. The book of Hebrews 9, 27 says it is appointed on the man once to die and then comes the judgment. There's a doctrine out there that would suggest to us that when you die, you cease to exist. And some of these same people don't believe that man has a soul. But God created man in his own image after his own likeness. And what that tells me is that when we die, you know what happens? The body goes back to the dust. The spirit returns to God who gave it. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 7. When we talk about death, we're simply talking about a separation. That's what death is. James 2.26 says, the body without the spirit is dead. When we die, the body goes back to the dust, but the spirit returns to God who gave it. In other words, there is a spiritual reality that exists in every human being because we are created in the image of God. God is eternal and we are eternal beings. There is a doctrine called purgatory, and this doctrine would suggest that when a person dies, that there are certain people can do certain things and purge a person to another place. Let me tell you what, folks, if we die outside of Jesus Christ, we are going to be lost forever. We've mentioned on several occasions this doctrine called premillennialism, which is a misunderstanding of the spiritual nature of the kingdom. Some people believe that the Lord is going to come back and set up a literal kingdom and reign on a literal throne for a thousand years. And some of the tenets of premillennialism would suggest a second chance. And it's not true. And such as the rapture. And again, the word rapture is not even in the Bible. But the definition of the rapture is this. The thought or the feeling of being carried away to another place. And that's what I see when I read 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4. Because when that trumpet sounds, let me tell you what, it'll be sweet music. If you've died, let me tell you what, those who have died, those who sleep in Jesus, the Bible says they're going to be caught up. And remember now, we read in 1 Corinthians 15, there's going to be a change that takes place. And we're going to go back over there. And if you are alive, we're all going to be changed. Those who've died, we're all going to be changed. Now that's physical death, spiritual death. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Remember, Lord's hand is not slack that it cannot save. Neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your sins and iniquities have separated you between you and your God. And he has hid his faith and he will not hear. To be spiritually dead means to be without God and without hope in this life. To be spiritually dead is what Paul said of the Ephesians. Is what is the case of many people today. They are dead in their sins and trespasses. They're separate from God. They may have life. They may be living, but they're not living. They're not living. They don't have a relationship with God because they are separated from God. But I'm telling you, if you're here tonight and you're separated from God, you don't have to live that way any longer. Because that's why Jesus came. He came to save us from our sins. And to reconcile us, to bring us back to God. But there's going to be a state in which there is no more exposure to the corruption of life as we know it here. And the Bible teaches that a renewal of the habitation in the heavenly city demands a renewal of condition in order to be able to participate in it. 
Let's go back in our Bible to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And you know, Paul is telling these Corinthians, not only did Jesus die, he even anticipates a question that the Corinthians might have. Look at chapter 15, look at verse 35. But someone will say, well, how are the dead raised up and with what body do they come? Well, Paul is ready for that too. And let me tell you, in essence, what Paul says. Paul says, leave it up to God. Cannot the God who created this universe, this cosmos, cannot this God who spoke ten times, God said, and it was so. Psalm 33, verses 6 and 9, God spoke and it was so. Cannot God who created this world, cannot God put those bodies back together? Well, what about, what about the people who are cremated? Paul? Remember the challenger? As a matter of fact, just January the 28th, 30 years ago to the date, the challenger blew up. What about those bodies? What about the bodies that are lost at sea? I have been in burial details in the Navy where we have committed bodies to the sea. Cremation committed the ashes to the sea. A casket prepared for the sea to make sure it doesn't float, to go to the bottom. I've, I've served on burial details on land. What about those bodies? Paul said, leave it up to God. And sometimes we are not aware of the omnipotent God and his power and what his purpose for mankind is. But look at what Paul says when he when he anticipates the question. Look at how he answers it in verse 36. He says, foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. And look at verse 42. He says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. He's describing this new body. It's going to be raised incorruptible. Because a change is going to take place. It's going to be raised in glory. Verse 44, it is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Can you wrap your minds around that? And so look at verse 49. And as we have borne the image of the man of the dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. God has simply given us a glimpse of how beautiful it's going to be when we get there. We may not be able to comprehend all of that. But what he is telling us is very simply that. This naked spirit is going to be provided with that which is going to make our redemption complete. I need to turn to Paul's second epistle to the Corinthians because Paul said something there also about the resurrection. In the book of 2 Corinthians in chapter 5 is where I want to go. But I need to back up just a little bit to help us get the thought. Because Paul talks about how difficult life is. And here is the thing Paul wants all of us to know. It doesn't matter how difficult it gets in this life. And I want you to listen to me, young people. I want you to listen to me, older folks. I want all of us in between to listen. Paul said, whatever, whatever you do, don't you ever, ever give up. Because there are some things that are going to happen in the future. We need to be forward-thinking people. We are all headed to eternity.
And we get to decide whether we're going to live with God or not. And look at how Paul talks about his own experiences. He says, beginning verse, we're hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. And you can read all of that. And that's why he says in verse 16, therefore, we don't lose heart. And even though our outward man is perishing, yet our inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more and exceeding an eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Ignore the chapter the break for we know that if our earthly house this tent is destroyed you're getting the figurative language right he says if it's destroyed we have a building from God a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens for in this we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven if indeed having been clothed we shall not be found naked for we who are in this tent groan being burdened not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. And therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are also well known to God and I also trust are well known in your consciences. And so we are assured that the redeemed are going to shine forth as the sun. Remember in the book of Matthew chapter 13 verse 43. And John says, behold what man of love the father has bestowed upon us that we might be called sons of God, children of God. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we're going to be like him. We're going to be as angels, Jesus said. And may I remind us what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 3. He says, even though you are citizens of Philippi, you know what? Our citizenship is up in heaven. From which also we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things to himself. And so that's our question, right? Shall we know one another in heaven? May I say this? There is not a scripture anywhere that I know. And we've got some preachers in this assembly. No scripture that I know. In all of God's sacred revelation that says specifically that we shall know one another in heaven. But we're reasoning from the scriptures. I believe the whole issue boils down to one basic idea. And that is the question of identity. Let me raise a question. What happens when one becomes a Christian? Well, in Paul's second epistle to the Corinthians, you know what he said? He said, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. If I am the individual who is assisting someone to obey the gospel, I try to explain it to him like this. What's getting ready to happen is you're getting ready to be buried with Jesus Christ. Because this is where you contact the blood. See, and I try to explain to people, you know, people in the religious world say, all you have to do is have faith. All you have to do is believe. If that is the case, where do you contact the blood of Christ? You contact the blood of Christ in baptism. 
Because baptism is for the remission of sins. And so we're getting ready to put you in this watery grave. It's an immersion. It's a burial. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you make the decision that you're going to repent. You're going to turn to Jesus Christ. You confess him. And you agree, I want, I want him to be my savior. Then we're going to put you in a watery grave. And let me tell you, when you come up, you're going to be brand new. This is what Jesus described to Nicodemus when he said, except you be born of the water, you can't see. Except you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about being born again. When you come up, let me tell you what, if you go look in the mirror, you're going to see the same face on the outside. Oh, your hair's going to be a little bit wet. You can dry that off. But I'm going to tell you what, on the inside, you're going to be clean. Your name's going to change. You're then going to be a child of God. You're going to be a Christian. You're going to be a disciple. You're going to be a saint. You're going to be a brother or sister in Christ. Because you've changed your relationships. And your family's still going to recognize you for the name that was given at birth. You see, it's a matter of identity. But spiritually speaking, some things have changed. So why should it be assumed that a change in exaltation into a high mode of existence erases identity or personality? When you look in the book of Jude, only one chapter, at verse 9, you look in the book of Luke in chapter 1, verses 19 to 26. Of all of the heavenly hosts, of course, except the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? I find that at least two of the heavenly hosts have names. Michael, the archangel, and Gabriel. In heaven, are they known for who they are? And what about the other angels? And I know that there is a higher elevation of angels, a seraphim. But I think the bottom line is it's about identity. Do people know who their identity is? So why then should it not be so among those who are redeemed and perfected men? Who we are going to be like angels. Would the perfect state be more so because of a lack of recognition? Remember the book of Matthew in chapter 17. Remember there was Moses, there was Elijah, and there was Jesus arrayed in all of his glory. And Peter did not understand. And Peter said, let's, let's make three tabernacles. One for you, Lord, one for Moses, one for Elijah. But you know what happened? Moses disappeared. Elijah disappeared. And that voice came from heaven like it did when Jesus was baptized. And that voice said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. How did they know it was Moses? How did they know it was Elijah? Did you get the implication? Moses had died many years ago. Elijah had died, but they were still living. It's a matter of identity. And how they knew it is beyond me, but we got the evidence. Mention is made in the New Testament. In Matthew in chapter 8 and verse 11. Of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in a glorified state. Jesus says of those whose faith will lead them to embrace the gospel, that they will sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, even though they've died many years ago. Jesus, again, he quotes from the Old Testament book of Exodus, selecting a passage where God identifies himself as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob in the text where we begin this evening. And so apparently the patriarchs have not lost their identity. They're still Abraham. They're still Isaac. They're still Jacob. In Acts in chapter 3 at verse 13, you can remember the apostle Peter on Solomon's porch. 
He augured that the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers have glorified his son Jesus. Let me ask you folks, have they lost their identity? So they'll never be recognized again? There's life after death. We maintain our identity. And not only that, you look in the book of John in chapter 5, verse 28. We've mentioned that already. The hour is coming. And again, when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Now look at John in chapter 11. Jesus waited four days until Lazarus died. Very close to that family. And remember Martha met him on the road. Mary met him on the road. And remember they said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus assured them, did not I tell you your brother's going to live? And you see, they weren't thinking that far. I know he's going to live in a resurrection, but the resurrection was right there in front of them. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Though a man die, yet till he live. Do you believe that? And I'm asking you tonight, do you believe that if a man dies, do you believe he's going to live again? Yes, we're going to live somewhere. We're going to leave. We're going to live either with Jesus or we're going to live separate and apart from him. And he comes to the tomb. He says, roll the stone away. Well, Lord, he's been dead for four days. He stinks. Did not I tell you that your brother's going to live? And they roll the stone away. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. If Jesus would have said the dead, let me tell you what, everybody who had ever lived and died, they would have come out of that grave. But Lazarus was identified by name. And that tells me he had not lost his identity. But I tell you what, it tells me something else. There's a lot of people who won't listen to Jesus now. But there's going to come a day when God will speak and you will obey There's going to come a time when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. And wouldn't it be better to listen to Jesus now than to wait and be forced to do so? The book of Luke in chapter 16, we got another man by the name of Lazarus. In contrast to the rich man, don't know what his name is. And it tells us what happens when people die. You go to a place called Hades. The King James miss it. It does not correctly identify the place where you go when you die. The King James Version says hell. That's Gehenna. This is the Hadean world. Where there's a separation. This is the same place when Jesus died, where he went. Remember the thief on the cross? He said, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. Jesus says, today you shall be with me in paradise. Same place where Lazarus went. And the rich man was separated. See, that's what death is. Separation, physically and spiritually. He was without God. He was without hope. But here we've got something. And here we've got something very interesting. Because sometimes people ask the question, what about my loved one who's died? If I believe what you're telling me, what about my loved one who's died? Well, let's let that rich man speak for us. Remember he said, Father Abraham, send somebody back and tell my brother. You know what the point was? They got Abraham and the promise. No, but if you send somebody back, they'll believe him. He said, no, they have the prophets. They have gotten Moses. They have the word of God. And I'm telling you and I, we have no excuse. We have the word of God. Even though our loved ones may have missed out. Even though they may have turned their eyes and their ears from the truth. You have the opportunity to to obey Jesus. And if you turn away your eyes from the truth, let me tell you what, you're going to be lost yourself. We have to recognize that we are individually accountable before God. And we're going to have to answer to God for the thing that we have done in the body. 
Not for what our mothers have done. Not for what our fathers have done. Not for what our loved ones have done. We're going to have to answer ourselves. In the book of Acts in chapter 24, you can remember also, the Bible here helps us to understand this concept of identity. Where there the apostle Paul taught that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. Well, who is it going to be raised? Why, it's those who are buried, the just and the unjust. They are still who they are. The identity has not been lost. And not only that, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Perhaps all of us can relate to this. Remember, Paul likens himself to master building. He said, for no other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ. And Paul goes on to say, you know, you may work with somebody. You may study with them. You may put in time and effort. And you know, the Bible talks about the possibility of apostasy. Yeah, there's a doctrine out there in Calvinism that says, once you're saved, you're always saved. Let me tell you what, that's not true. You can turn your back on the Lord. You can crucify him afresh. But you can spend your time on someone. And like the parable of the sword, you believe for a little while and then you fall away. But you know what? All the time you spent may be lost. But you know what? You'll still be saved. You see? And in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 28... That's a well-known example, I believe. Remember when Saul had been rejected by God? God had left him. The Philistines were approaching. He was shaking in his boots, so to speak. He was without God. I can't tell you how terrifying it is to live in this life without God. He was desperate. So he goes to a fortune teller, so to speak. Somebody who think that they could... Read the future. Even this fortune teller was surprised. Who do you want me to bring up? Bring up. Bring up Samuel. Up comes Samuel. Why did you disturb me, Saul? Samuel had been dead. But he was still alive. Then one last example. Remember in the book of 2 Samuel in chapter 12 and verse 23. The sordid sin and affair that David got himself caught up in. Remember the child that had been conceived in that relationship, that adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. That child got sick and was going to die. And David fasted and fasted. And I think that helps us to understand the purpose of fasting. We're not concerned about food. He fasted and fasted. Wouldn't eat. But he prayed and prayed and asked God. God says, no, the child's going to die. And when the child died, David was made aware of it. And facing the reality of the justice of God and the judgment upon him because of his sin and accepting the death of his son, David says, I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. And I realized that David did not say specifically that he would know him then, but what rational purpose could there have been in him saying what he did? Is David speaking only of dying in his body going to the grave? I don't think so. And I tell you what that does, folks. That provides comfort for you and I. Especially when the parent has to bury a child. Because those childs, those children have identity. And Jesus says, suffer the little children to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And so Paul, in writing to the Philippians, he says, As you forbid always in my presence, not only my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you the willing to do you his good will. Do all things without murmuring and complaining that you might be sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Among whom you shines as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. Here it is, that I might rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labor in vain. Wouldn't it be a shame, brethren, to get to the end of the line and you don't make it? 
For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing, or not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul had established churches on his first, second, perhaps even third missionary journeys. And he knew a lot of people, and you and I know a lot of people too. And let me tell you what, when they die, they don't cease to exist. They have identity. And then in the book of Luke in chapter 15, the Lord tells us that there is rejoicing in heaven among the angels of God when one sinner repents. Are they just rejoicing for one sinner or are they rejoicing for the person that they are? Even as we do rejoice. And then finally, 1 Thessalonians in 4.17. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And so we've covered our lesson and I know that there are objections. And I'm going to use these objections simply as application as I close this lesson. First of all, I know there are those who simply say, I, I don't understand. I don't see that. I mean, all that you've showed me, I just don't understand how we're going to know one another in heaven. I, I can buy that. But let me raise a question. Are there not a lot of things we cannot understand? Does that detract from the reality of it? I cannot get my mind around not dying anymore. Can you? We're never going to die anymore. And we know what debt does to us. And it's spiritually. Spiritual death especially. We're going to be with God forever. You know why? Because there won't be any sin there anymore. There won't be sin there. One of the things I'm looking forward to is that the devil won't be there and there won't be temptation. You want to do what's right, but Satan's always knocking at your door. Do you understand that? There are a lot of things we don't understand, but that doesn't detract from the reality of it. I don't understand how we're going to have new bodies. And the more I get older, I'm into Ecclesiastes 12 deep. This don't work, that don't work, this hurt, that hurts. But God's going to give us bodies where nothing hurt because there'll be no pain. We're going to have different bodies because we're going to be changed. And whatever bodies that God gives us, it's going to be okay. And for people who have bodies that are not whole, and people who have bodies that are deformed, and for parents to have to raise children and their bodies are not whole. God is saying that there is something that all of us can look forward to. I don't understand all that. But I believe God. If we recognize each other in heaven, then we will tend to stay in our cliques. But first of all, you got to prove that there are cliques in heaven. To be frankly honest with you, if you're in a clique, then you may not be there yourself. This is what God's word tells me. God is not a respecter of persons, but whosoever feareth him and worketh righteousness shall be accepted of him. Can I say this? I know even Jesus had those close associations. Sometimes we are closer to some Christian than we are to eat to others. And that's okay, folks. But can I tell you that the family of God is broad. It transcends race. It transcends culture. Galatians 3.26, for we are all sons of God by faith in Jesus Christ. As many of us as have been baptized in the Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female, black, yellow, red, white. And we get hung up on race. And it doesn't matter what the color of your skin is. It's what you got inside of you. It's your soul. It's your spirit. It doesn't have a color. Because it's created in the image of God. And I'll tell you what, brother, the sooner we learn that, the better off we're going to be. Because there are people of all different cultures and races and genders 
that are not saved yet. And God is coming upon you and I to look for them, to find them, to share with them the blessed gospel of Jesus Christ. What about the knowledge that someone you love is not there? And I kind of touched on that a little bit. And I know it's deep. Let me, let me touch on a little bit more. Is it true that we can accept God's judgment as true and righteous altogether? Yes, because I say that oftentimes at funerals. It doesn't matter what I say as I stand up here, but let me tell you, it's not going to change God's judgment because God is just. God knows things that I don't know. God knows things that you don't know. So first of all, can we enjoy the fellowship of those who are there? For instance, don't you know people who are not saved? You may have relatives who are not saved. But here we are in the confines of this building. We're worshiping God. We're giving our attention to spiritual things. Cannot we enjoy where we are right now without thinking about those people out there who are lost? People we may have tried to help. People who have turned their ear away. People who just refuse to listen. Cannot we enjoy what we're doing right now? Yes, we can. Because we're focusing our mind on the word of God and what God is saying. Can you be happy with the knowledge that someone you love is there? Can you be happy in a place of perfection where no sin can be found? What about the joy of seeing someone that you were afraid wouldn't be there? I know this objection, it ignores the change of relationship. You know, it won't be flesh and blood in heaven. Can you be happy where God is? Let me ask you that. We sometimes say, anywhere with Jesus. <laughs> Do you mean that when you say that? Anywhere with Jesus. How about this? Since we will have a new body, we'll not be able to recognize one another. Well, yes, there, there is to be a change as a body of course, gives way to immortality. But this change, however, is a change of state and not necessarily a change of identity. I think confusing the change of state with the change of identity is simply arguing too much. And that a spiritual body is going to be given does not mean that it's going to be without a means of recognition. I think the common conception seems to be it's going to be some kind of ghostly something. This conception has absolutely no support in the Bible. And so to argue that the spiritual body is going to be without features by which recognition is possible, I think it's just simply to demand too much. And then last, here's one from the scriptures itself. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now that's what John wrote. And I know some people say, yeah, I'm going to just leave it at that. We don't know what we're going to be, so I'm going to leave it at that. We're not going to know one another in heaven. Well, I want to raise some serious questions. Because people say, what difference does it make? I'm going to tell you what, it makes all the difference in the world. I've talked to some widows, and even widowers at this place. You've lived with a mate for some 40, 50 years, however long. And you mean to tell me that when they die, you will never see them again? They die in Jesus Christ. They were faithful unto death. We read about people who were faithful unto death. We read in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11. Faithful people, they're still alive. They have identity. And sometimes the death of a loved one who is faithful in Christ is the very thing that will buoy us on so we can be faithful. What difference does it make? It makes all the difference in the world. Because if my beloved, if God decides to take her before me, I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to live my life in such a way so my children will know who I stand for and who I believe in because one day I won't be where she is. And if I go before her, I want her to know the way I live and why I live where I live so she can come and be with 
men with God also. And I want my children to have the same hope. And I have not experienced the death of a child. When a mother miscarriages a child, when a mother loses a child, when a family loses a child, let me tell you what. You mean to tell me they have no hope of ever seeing that child again? I don't think so. I think that's the reason why Jesus says, suffer the little children to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Because they're innocent. And these millions of babies that are being slaughtered, they have identity. And I think what these people in the world don't understand is that they are destroying something that's been created by God. These are babies with bodies and souls. Because God gives it to them. And so, After all these feeble efforts of mine, I have one final word to offer. The main thing is to live so that we might be found in him without spot and without blameless. That's what Peter said. We know what's going to happen to this world, and I know some people don't believe that. Questions about God without faith. The meeting is almost over, in a sense. And you patiently listen. And I must, if I will. I like to close with the reading of a hymn. As a matter of fact, it comes from the hymn Until Then. There's a lot of hoary head in this assembly this evening. A lot of young folks, and even in between. This hymn is Until Then, written by Stuart Hamblin. I want you to listen to it, and then the lesson's yours. My heart can sing when I pause to remember. A heartache here is but a stepping stone. Along the trail that's winding always upward, this troubled world is not my final home. The things of earth are going to dim and lose their value. If we recall, they borrowed for a while. And things of earth that cause the heart to tremble, remember there, it will only bring a smile. This weary world with all its toil and struggle may take its toll of misery and strife. The soul of man is like a waiting falcon. When it's released, it's destined for the skies. But until then, my heart will go on singing. And until then, with joy, I'll carry on. Until the day my eyes behold the city. Until the day God calls me home. And one day, he's going to call all of us home. That will be the end, and that will be the beginning of eternity for you and I. And there will be a host of redeemed there. People who have rendered obedience unto Jesus Christ, they've lived for him, they've died for him. And they've put their faith in him. And so as we close, I simply want to extend the Lord's invitation. The gospel of Jesus Christ. God become flesh. Lived the perfect life. And in doing so, he was the only one that could be that sacrifice. Hebrews 5, 7. Though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And being perfected, he become the author of eternal salvation unto all that obey him. And I'm simply telling you, in order to have your sins forgiven, in order to go to heaven, 
you will have to obey Jesus. He died according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised again the third day. And you're going to have to die with him where you contact his blood, where you be raised to walk in new survival. And you don't have to worry about that second death. No. You have a relationship with God here and now, and when time will be no more, you have a relationship with God throughout all eternity. And get this. We've said this before. You get to decide. Lesson's yours. Please come. We'll be together. We stand and serve.